Abba, again, you have graced me with this day, a new day for breath to be a conduit of your truth, your knowledge, your wisdom, Father God. Thank you for the opportunity. For they that have an ear to let them hear, bless whatever scriptures that I put out from your word, Father God, that they would <clears throat> sink into the heart and be heard and lead. Abba, Yahweh, Aman, Yeshua, Aman, Paraklitos, Aman. So I some reading today, this morning, and yesterday evening. God's word is so filled with our guidelines and things that we need to have. We, um, in the reading from one of my teachers, and this morning, you know, we try to be so... We try to be so precise in, in making a list. We make a list for grocery shopping. We make a list for clothes shopping. We make a list for the children to get their stuff ready for school. We make a list for, uh, you know, our, our trip for vacation. next. We have this incessant need for planning out everything, everything. We have, seems to be this... I don't know, this power of drive in us to, to plan everything out. Everything's got to be so done for our work schedule, our agendas. But here's the thing, remember this. Is that we are not in control of everything, although we like to believe that we are in control of everything. And this thing that God has allowed for us to have we tend to turn into a detriment and I say that because God has given us the opportunity to be able to pre-plan things plan things ahead of schedule things that are, are out even months in advance but here's the problem we get caught up in that we get caught up in so much agenda that we fail miserably in God's plan. We're so caught up in our agenda and we are made to believe that it's an important agenda. And um, I share this with you because it's the truth. It comes from the word of God that Satan is very good at what he does. He's very good at what he does. He artfully camouflages and gets us to believe that certain things that we're hearing in our mind are our own ideas. However, you cannot forget that we are in a spiritual warfare. And that warfare that's being waged on a spiritual plane of existence and that we are protected from visually seeing. Because if we did see it, we would be frightened and some of us to death. That is the truth. It is frightening because the demons are attacking and we have our angelic hosts that are protecting and striving against those demons. But here's the important thing that we need to remember is that our Lord Jesus 
gave us authority to step on serpents and scorpions. That's biblical speech for demons. And the powers of the enemy himself. Jesus spoke that authority, but we have to grab onto it. We have to declare it. We have to claim it. Sometimes I find that I will be in a situation and I will step quickly and not. Brothers and sisters, there is none, none, I must say it again, none that walk infallible on this plane of existence. There are none. It doesn't matter the pastor, the priest, whatever, that individuals think that, oh, well, how come they're they're not going to be affected because they're a pastor? They're not going to be affected because they're a, a priest. They're not going to be affected because of this or that. They make excuses for them. Let me tell you this. There are none, none, none perfect until he who is perfect has come. That means that pastors... Preachers, priests that, like so many, get up and think themselves to be perfected, are not. And if they try to portray that, then they portray a lie. They also are teaching false teachings and doctrines, because the Bible says that there are none who are perfect. We all need to grab on to the Word of God, His truth, knowledge and wisdom, and share only that. When we start to devise, and I've shared with you that when the Spirit perceives that I am too much of a platform for my own, it's not allowed. And for a split second of frustration because it didn't, I realize, oh, Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me. I realize immediately, almost immediately what I've done. This is the gospel of God the Father. This is the gospel of Jesus, anointed of God, Christ, and the teachings from the Holy Spirit for his leading and guidance. That is what we must do. And we must do that because we are called to do that thing so that all nations have an opportunity to hear this word. And Paul shares in Corinthians, or sorry, Galatians, fifth chapter, reading through this. And you have to understand, you're going to find that um, when Paul talks about circumcision, Okay, when Paul writes about this later on, he is not talking about the physical circumcision when uh, infant children, I believe the Hebrew call it the bris, when the foreskin is cut off of the male child. And that is a covenant that was made with God and that physicality. But when Paul's talking about circumcision, he's talking about spiritual circumcision to set you aside from the old man, from what you were before to what you are in the covenant that you've made with God. And you say, well, I'm not sure I understand that. I don't recall doing that. Well, when you say, 
I believe that Jesus is your only begotten son and I will have faith in you and I do want the Holy Spirit to guide my steps. I do, I will, let's go. That's a covenant that you've made with God, a covenant, an agreement, a um, contract, as you, if you will, to follow his guidance through the Holy Spirit to have faith in him because he is sovereign over all things, no matter what it appears to be, he is sovereign. So that being said, Galatians 5, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with a yoke of bondage. What is he talking about? He's talking about the white noise of Satan that tries to keep us down in the past and what we were. Satan does this very well. He does it through co-workers. He does it through circumstances. He does it through uh, family members. Trying to keep us entangled in what we were. Sometimes we become so entangled with that and we allow it to drag us down to the bottom of the sea of forgetfulness. This is where God tosses those things that we ask him to forgive us. Some Sometimes can be very nasty and sometimes can be minimal. But God tosses it out there. He doesn't want to remember. He doesn't want us to remember. But Satan has these little buoy markers that he throws out there. These little buoy markers of remembrance. Oh, look, look what I have. I have a marker here for that thing that you were forgiven for several years ago. But look, it's a little faded, but it's right here. If you want, you can go down there to the bottom of the line and pick it up, take it home, put it up in the attic. You don't have to get in that little box. You don't have to do, and he, he talks it this way. He makes it so lilting that we will succumb to his hypnotic words sometimes and we will be tranced into this non-resistant attitude and we forget that circumcision covenant that we have with God and we will swim down there to the bottom of that buoy line and we will pick up those things that God tossed out there and drag them back up on the beach and take them in the house and put them in the attic. The attic being our mind. The attic being our thought process where we put things and store things from the past. And Satan loves to get us in there. He loves to get us in the attic and kicking the dusty, dirty boxes around so that we're blinded by the dust, the, the sting of the dust gets in our eyes and, and we get so caught up in, the, in our stuff that we forget things. Saul nearly missed his anointing because he was so caught up in his stuff. What was important to him? And we find that there are other leaders that got caught up that way in the nation of Israel. Hezekiah, one of the great kings of the nation of Israel. I shared some scripture relating to that with you. Hezekiah. But then, some little while later, he got caught up in his stuff and he was questioned. 
Isaiah, a powerful prophet, man of God, came and said, who are those people and what were you telling them? The way the scripture is written, it's uh, Isaiah was questioning, but here's the thing. I believe he actually already knew and he was, you might say, testing Hezekiah. Hezekiah brought in <clears throat> Babylonians. And if you go through the history of Israel back in the Old Testament and early portions of the New Testament, you will find that the nation of Israel had a tendency to do these things. They'd bring in those nations and peoples who were at enmity with them, feigning to be in the midst of a truce and feigning to be concerned about their well-being, as the Babylonians did when they came to Hezekiah. And what did Hezekiah do? Hezekiah became arrogant. And he was bragging about everything that they had. And he was bragging about all the treasure that, were in the, that was in the temple. Bragging about all the things that they had taken from those that were defeated. Bragging, bragging, bragging. Pride, pride, pride. Arrogance, arrogance, arrogance. And what happened? The Babylonians came back, attacked, and stole everything. Broke down gates, broke down walls, burned and pillaged and took everything that they had physically. The arrogant bragging of Hezekiah. And then later on, his son, and I like this word, I've shared this with you before, I believe. His son was one of the most despotic individuals that the nation of Israel had ever realized. His son, Manasseh. He was terrible. He broke down everything that his father had built up. Everything that he had agreed to God to, for Israel, he broke down. Brought in false idols, false teachings in their, their way. Uh, pretty bad further in Galatians 5 behold I Paul say unto you that if ye be circumcised Christ shall profit you nothing meaning that if you are in agreement with him and that's just the spiritual purification form that's just that's not an actual whacking off of the foreskin or cutting it away as in the bris. It's a purification that you have through Christ. It's not for profit or gain. It's for his sake, for your life, that what you do profit and what you gain is your soul, your spiritual life, not material, not gain, not anything out here in the temporal plane of existence. We're talking about spiritually further for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law 
that you must obey, you must have faith, you must believe, and you must do those things that we are commanded to do by the Lord God Almighty, our sovereign Lord. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. What Paul's talking about is that you work according to the law only, and that's all you are concerned about is what is basically seen physically, and that you're not following or obeying the word of God. You remember that pharisaical teachings, and I've shared this with you before, is that you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees were at odds with not only one another, but they all pounced on Jesus and wanted to condemn him and cried out for him to be crucified because he was not obeying the law. And according to them, the law... And and here, and again, I've shared with you before that what they declare as the law, they keep saying the law of Moses. Excuse me. Therein lies a major issue. First of all, it's not the law of Moses. The law or the Ten Commandments were given to Moses by sovereign Lord God Almighty in the old covenant that he had with his chosen people. And later on, you're going to find that as they do in our modern times is that contracts that are written per mutual agreement are amended all the time. Well, God made an amendment to this. And what was that amendment? Is that he did not want what happened according to the law in the past, like the flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, and those things because of disobedience of the law. But he wanted something that was an opportunity for all of us to have, to hold in our hearts, to remember in our mind. And that is a covenant with him through Jesus, the Christ, anointed of God, our Lord and Savior, he who came for our souls. And he was thinking about us when he came. He was thinking about me when he came. While we were yet at enmity with him, he came and sacrificed his very life. His blood was shed for our circumcision. Remember, this is, a, this is a spiritual thing. We were purified by being washed in his blood. And this is what we need to remember. We need to remember that his blood washed us. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. And what Paul is talking about is the is our abolition 
of the law, the old law. And we have to remember that by faith, the amendment that God made and gave to us through the sacrificial lamb of Jesus, his only begotten son, who came for us so that we would have the opportunity to share his word so that everyone, everyone, everyone would have an opportunity for repentance, for salvation, and to be able to spend eternity with God, Jesus, and loved ones that we that went on before us. Some people say, oh, I lost my loved one some months ago or some years back. Well, wait a second. <clears throat> First of all, they're not lost unless they did not repent and they were not knowing the Lord, the Bible, God, and they didn't believe. If they didn't believe, then yes, they are lost. And yes, you did lose them. And unfortunately, if you repent and you're saved and you go to heaven, they will stay lost. They will stay perished. But of course, that is not going to be in your heart. You're not going to be crushed by that. But if they were repentant and were saved and they went to heaven and you are as well, then you didn't lose anything. You didn't lose anything. Uh, anything at all. You gained. You gained so much. You gained, first of all, you gained eternal life. You're going to spend eternity with Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, and your loved ones that went before. They will be with you also. There is no more sickness. There's no more pain. There's no more tears. It's going to be amazing. Amazing. Reading again, verse 6. For in Jesus Christ, Neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. We are saved by grace, mercy of God, and faith. Not by anything that we do, not by verbalizing, saying, oh yeah, that's a good word in the Bible. Doesn't work that way. Your agreement with God, your covenant with God, to show that we are different. <clears throat> and Paul speaks again of this race that we're in. Some people call it the rat race. They use that for what goes on around us daily. But you know, it's it's an appropriate. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Who tried to hold you up? Who tried to set you back? And who tried to keep you from following the word? Well, you have those minions that operate by guidance of Satan. You have those perverse preachers that teach falsely and teach false doctrine. They get up there and convince people that the Bible proves that Jesus lied 
or they get up and say that we have been teaching these parts of the Bible incorrectly because God condemns. No, he doesn't. The only accuser and condemner and liar is Satan. God does not condemn. He gives us an opportunity to repent and be saved of our own volition. We are made by him as creatures of free will choice to make the decision. So how is it that God is condemning us if we have a free will? God does not condemn those with a free will. You have a free will choice to say, yes, I do believe I will have faith. Let's go. Let's head down the road. I'm going to follow the Holy Spirit. He's going to teach and guide me. God does not condemn. So that pervert that sits up there on the stage and says, we've been teaching John 3.16 wrong because it tells us in the Bible that God condemns us to hell if we don't believe. He's trying to convince individuals that we are being held at spiritual gunpoint by God that if we don't believe his son came for us or that he was crucified, then you're going to hell. Well, yes, in a word, that's true. But only if you choose not to believe. You don't have to believe. He's trying to make it as if we have to do that. You don't have to. God gave us a free will choice. You do not have to believe. But if you believe, you're much better off. Be much better to believe because then you're going to have eternity there. You're going to have to see your loved ones. You're going to be with them. There might be some that say, you know what? I didn't like Uncle Bob very much. I didn't like Aunt Sue very much. I don't want to be with them for eternity. And choose not to believe and not to have faith and not do that thing that God asks us to do. There may be some of those their choice is to either spend that eternity, forgive and be repentant and love and give others an opportunity for that as well. Or to perish and have eternal separation from anyone that loves him. Satan doesn't love you. He uses and manipulates you, but he does not love you. He will convince you of things He's very good at that. The minions come in. Oh my goodness gracious. They come to me in the darkness because they know that there was a time where I loved being in the dark. I liked I liked that. Not only spiritually, but uh, when I was in the military. And the worse the weather, the darker it was. A little scary, but I like that. Why? Because then I was hidden. I felt safe. Spiritually, we do the same thing. We like to be in the dark because then we think that we're not visible. Ah, but the all-seeing, all-knowing, all-present Lord God Almighty sees and knows all things. Even in that darkness, he sees. Further, this talks about the false teachers. The persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Remember, Jesus talks about 
Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Why did he say that? Because their false teaching, their false doctrine, their false ideals, everything about them was false. He told them straight up. He said, you don't know the truth as it stands before you because you speak the language of your father. Perturbed them, but they didn't even quite understand that. So he had to come out and spell it out for them. When they were talking about him calling on Beelzebub to cast out the demons and try to explain those things to them. He said, you don't understand. You don't understand me. You don't understand the truth because I am the truth and you wouldn't know it and you don't because I'm standing right here in front of you because you speak the language of your father. <sighs> Turned out and called them sons of Satan. <laughs> That's pretty potent. That's pretty anger-inducing, but that's also the truth. So what Paul is talking about is they don't want you to speak the truth. They don't want you to share what the Word of God is telling. They're the false teachers. And that's what that leaven is, false doctrine, false teaching. And you're following that. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware their false teaching. Beware their false doctrines. And this is what Paul's talking about. A little leaven. Leaven of the whole lump. It only takes a little. And this is what I've shared with you before. And there's no such thing as a little white lie. A lie is a lie. And... Oh, no, a little white lie. That's okay, because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Well, <laughs> so you lie to your spouse or your children. And then when they go out with their friends, they find out that you've lied to them. What do you think happens to their trust in you as a parent? Or you as a parent for your children when you find that they a little white lie? Or as you to your spouse? Does this dress make me look really big? Does this dress make me look bad? Oh, goodness, no, darling, you're, you're beautiful. It looks beautiful. And as she goes in to finish brushing her hair or whatever, the, there, there's old lion husband standing out there tapping his foot, looking at his watch. Are we just about ready to go? So what he did in order to chase that time, he lied. And then they go out with all their friends. And then she gets separated from her husband. She goes over and she's talking to her friends who have always through school and all the years that they've known each other, they have always told one another openly and always spoken the truth. So they share with her that that dress is hideous. And one of them actually uses the word hideous. And then a husband wonders why she's sitting farther away from him and nearly pressing the handle of the door and going to fall out and silent the whole trip back to the house. And then finally asks what's going on. And she unloads on him for lying to her. And then she gets rid of the dress. Now let's flip the coin over, you know, equal 
equal rights and all that stuff. So she lies to him about pair of pants. Guys don't seem to worry about this much, but there are those that are very vain and they do worry about it. They get all wrapped up. So then they go out and his buddies who have always told him the truth, well, mostly told him the truth, like, man, what are you doing with that outfit on? It's like, what are you talking about? Go, and that's that's terrible, and it's gross. Those pants you've got on, they make your butt look about as big as an elephant. And that coat, it doesn't even fit you right. Man, you look like you, you look like you stopped at the giveaway store or got this at the thrift store on your way here. You don't have anything in your closet. Man, that's, that's sad. Brother, that's just sad. And then... The reverse happens. He's driving and he's maybe driving a little carelessly or recklessly and he's all ticked off and they get home. And then she goes, what's wrong? And he goes, what do you mean what's wrong? You lied to me. You told me that this was great and, and you were just wanting to get out of the house and get gone. You lied to me. Well, they tried to cover that lie. Oh, it's a little white lie. I don't want to hurt their feelings. A lie is a lie, period. A little leaven, leavening the whole lump. So now that little white lie that was convinced or connived for you to be persuaded that it's okay because it's to, not to hurt their feelings, and that's okay. And now it has developed into something greater. Now that bread is really raised up because not only did you lie, but then for the rest of that Gala, whatever it was, once she found out that the dress was hideous or whether he found out that, that the trousers made his butt look really big and, and they didn't fit right and, you know, the way that the pucker was made on the, uh, on the pleats in the front of the trousers, so whatever reason it was. And now they're all agitated for the rest of the evening, but they got to stay because they made arrangements. And then on the way home, it escalates. When they get home, it escalates. So now that bread has really risen up. That little bit of leaven, that little white lie that was okay to not hurt anyone's feelings has now developed into this huge canker. Phew. Further, Paul writes, Verse 10, I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. Somebody's trying to convince you to not fall. Somebody's trying to convince you. That you shouldn't obey God, that you shouldn't believe in Jesus, whoever that is. They shall bear judgment, whoever he be. <clears throat> and I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased? I would they were even cut off 
which trouble you. For, brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by, by love serve one another. Again, we find that direction, that we are to serve one another. We are to love one another. What did Jesus respond to that lawyer of the Sanhedrin when he tried to trap Jesus into getting tangled up in his own words. Jesus told them, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. And he said the second is like unto the first. Love thy neighbor in the same manner. Didn't trap him. Jesus spoke the truth. He spoke the wisdom because he is the word. And he was with God from the beginning. Verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if he bite and devour one another, Take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. So you're backbiting your neighbor. You're talking smack about him. You're speaking lies and you're, you're doing them wrong. Be wary because somebody's coming up on you. Keep your eye because something's coming to bite you. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. That might seem kind of confusing. Well, the law according to the old way. And the way that the Sanhedrin, through the Sadducees, tried to push this on the people. We still have to obey those that are in authority. And it could be the law of man. But the way that they tried to portray that is not accurate. Believing that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. And that he was crucified for our sake. And as he tried to get them, that he came for all. He didn't come just for those who are already in the church and all that. And see, they, their self-righteous piety put them in a position where they believed that they didn't need him. And when they came to Matthew's house, when he was having that little dinner party, and they tried to speak ill against him, and he goes, hey, I came to serve. And those that are already well, they don't need a physician. I come to minister to those who are in need. You don't feel yourself in need, so I'm not coming to minister to you. And that was uh, part and parcel of the whole thing. They didn't believe themselves in need. 
So he didn't minister to them. And there were those who were calling out, who were in need, and he came for them. And we find that again when he went, where did he go? He went to his own home town where he was raised, born in the house of meat, in the house of bread, Bethlehem. Or as some pronounce them, Bethlehem. Depending on the pronunciation, Arabic or Hebrew, house of meat, house of bread. Either way, it's the portion. It's very significant. Jesus Christ is called our meat and our portion, and he is also called, and the word of God is called the bread of life. It's been termed that many times. And where did the word come from? The word came from Jesus. He was with God from the beginning and became flesh and came here. And he is our portion. But Jesus returned to Nazareth where he was raised. And what did he get told when he was there? They didn't want to listen. They didn't want to believe. They didn't want, they said, you are just the son of Joseph the carpenter. We know who you are. We know your whole family. We know your brothers and sisters. We know who you are. What authority do you speak on? You're just the son of Joseph the carpenter. Why should we hear or believe anything you say? You're just the carpenter's son. And Jesus turned and he left. I'm sure wasn't there and it's not specified. But because Jesus is a man of compassion and kindness and love. And when he changed the water to wine, he did that because he looked into his mother's eyes. And because this wedding party was the son of her friend. He felt that compassion and that love for his earthly mother. He did for her. And he was in his town where he was raised, Nazareth. And he did that out of compassion for his mother. They rebuked him. They rebuked him because they knew the family. And Jesus shared that in his words. That the prophet was reviled in his, in his own hometown where people know him. And there's an old saying that comes from that. Um, let me see if I can remember how it went. And I can't. Ah, here we go. Familiarity breeds contempt. So the more that you know the truth about someone, here's the operative word though, the truth about someone, the more familiar you become with a person, you have a tendency to become contemptuous, which is exactly how they did. Pretty sad. They only knew. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus came for our sake. He was thinking about me before he came. He was thinking about each one of you before he came. And you could make it very personal. 
when he shouldn't. He was thinking about me when he came. Make every word in the Bible personal. God wants to have a personal relationship with us. He wants to abide with us personally. That's all he desires. That's all we should desire, just have that personal relationship. And Jesus came for the opportunity that each and every single one of us would have the opportunity to be saved, to have eternal life, not perish, but spend eternity with our Lord, with our God, and with our loved ones. We are each and every one of us given the opportunity. I do believe that Jesus is your only begotten Son. I will have faith in you, Father, and I will follow. Brothers and sisters, you're in my prayers. Am I going out? Am I coming in?